0: Section 2 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Criminal Investigation A Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers, and Lawyers, Volume 3, by Hans Gross. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Chapter 16. Bodily Injuries and Poisoning Continued. Section 4. Wounds Caused by Firearms. In Chapter 11, we have summarized the technical details likely to prove useful to investigating officers in dealing with firearms. In treating of wounds caused by the discharge of a firearm, the following points have to be considered. A. The projectile or projectiles. B. The wad, the patch, and the cartridge case. C. The explosive gases. D. Grains of powder unconsumed. E. The flame of the powder. F. The smoke. The production and even the existence of the effects caused by these various factors depend on the nature of the arm, the charge, and the distance at which the shot is fired, not to mention other accessory conditions such as the action of the wind, the angle of incidence, etc. Obviously, the results may be combinations of different elements, so that the same result may arise from different causes. Thus, an arm of inferior quality with a heavy charge of powder may, at the same distance, produce the same effect as a superior arm with a smaller charge, or a first-class arm with a heavy charge may produce the same result as an inferior arm with a smaller charge fired from a shorter distance. In general, the best effects, so far as accuracy and range are concerned, are produced by breech-loading rifles, especially with modern bullets of small caliber. Then come shotguns, and finally, revolvers. Here again, it is clear that the make of the arm is of great importance. Our remarks will, for the most part, have reference to firearms of medium quality. At the present time, in Europe at all events, we have frequently to deal with revolvers. They are cheap and easy to carry. They are also popular because with one a person considers himself well armed. They are easily loaded and can be purchased almost anywhere. It is also useful to have the whole charge of the revolver Collected in a single cartridge, whereas for a pistol, the bullet, the wads, the powder, and the percussion cap must be carried separately. Revolvers in common use are for the most part of the worst manufacture, badly bored, and wanting in precision. The bores of the cylinder do not correspond with that of the barrel, and the gap between the cylinder and the barrel is so large that the bullet is obliged, so to speak, to jump from the cylinder into the barrel, which causes a great loss of the explosive gases. The wounds caused by such revolvers are rarely classed by experts as mortal, but it goes without saying that under certain conditions, a fresh and fully charged cartridge, short range and a suitable part of the body, a mortal wound may be caused as certainly as by the most perfect modern breech-loading weapon with a defective charge, and at long range. It is always necessary to be careful where only the result is seen and other attendant circumstances are unobserved, to give no other opinion than that the result is serious or trivial. The officer who without hesitation should speak of a shot fired at short range by an arm of long range would prove only that he knew little about firearms, and would be likely to make the most serious mistakes. For the following details, reliance is placed chiefly on the excellent work of Hoffman. The orifice of the wound is large, mangled, with flesh torn away, when the shot has been fired point blank, or the weapon is of first class quality. This is explained by the fact that in such cases the gases developed by the powder penetrate directly into the opening made by the projectile, expanding under the skin, which is torn and in part blown away. This happens especially when the part of the body struck is near a bone. The gas cannot then penetrate far into the flesh and is, so to speak, driven out again. A further proof of the shot having been fired point-blank is that the hair or garments around the orifice are burned or singed, which is due to the heat of the flame of the powder. The presence of a sort of dry border around the orifice of entry of the bullet does not prove absolutely that the shot has been fired at close quarters. This border, though much narrower, is met with also in shots fired from a great distance, and may be due to the shock of the projectile. But if the wound is blackened by the smoke of the powder, and if grains of powder have penetrated the skin, it is certain that the shot has been fired point-blank. The presence of these grains of powder in the skin is of greater importance than usually recognized, as it is possible from them to draw conclusions as to the construction of the weapon. Remember that the firing of the powder takes place from behind forwards All attempts to set fire to the powder in front have failed. From the time that a small quantity of the powder is set fire to, the impulsive force is developed, and eventually the portion of the powder not yet consumed is drawn out of the barrel along with the projectile. If the powder is very inflammable, if the barrel is very long, or if it be rifled so that the bullet is compelled to turn relatively very slowly, the powder has time to be completely consumed. But in the contrary case, powder burning slowly, short barrel and no rifling, the powder is not entirely consumed, a portion remains intact which is drawn out with the lead with sufficient force, if the range be short, to penetrate under the skin. It is impossible to efface the black mark caused by the grains of powder while marks made by the smoke are easily obliterated. If, then, grains of powder are found embedded in the skin, it may be safely concluded that the shot has been fired from a very short distance, and with a weapon preventing the complete combustion of the powder. So far, nothing further can be stated with confidence, but the investigating officer should note minutely the number of grains and how they are scattered. For example, three grains on the jaw at such and such distances from each other, ten on the forehead, four on the temple. If the grains are on a flat surface, as the breast or the back, the best and easiest method is to mark on a sheet of paper the positions of the grains and the distances in the natural size. If subsequently the weapon be discovered, Experts can, in any particular case, give important information. If there be several unknown quantities, for instance if the range and the strength of charge be unknown, experts can naturally say little. But if the range be known and there is anything to lead to a conclusion as to the strength of the charge, then experts can give very precise information. By experiment with the weapon in question it can be verified whether it is capable of discharging against a fixed target an equal quantity of grains of powder again the depth to which the grains of powder penetrate varies between 130 second and 330 seconds of an inch 1 to 2 millimeters these grains will be found buried in the object by the discharge of a large american revolver at the distance of 1 yard but not at 5 feet For a saloon pistol the distance may be seven feet and for guns and rifles even further, according to the experiments made by Hoffman upon dead bodies. Other experiments, however, show that the combustion of the powder is, owing to the length of the barrel, more complete in guns than in pistols and revolvers. Thus, while the grains are thrown as far, they are more nearly consumed and the penetration is no greater than for the other weapons. As for other effects, a shot from a pistol will set fire to paper at a distance of 20 inches. Revolvers of 9 millimetres equal about 3 eighths of an inch calibre will singe the hair at a distance of 10 or 15 centimetres 4 to 6 inches and blacken the object up to one and a half feet. The following points should be noted. 1. Gunshot wounds, using the phrase gunshot to describe compendiously all wounds caused by the discharge of a firearm, are distinguished from wounds made by a knife or dagger by the channel of the wound. For the latter, the channel is contracted as the wound goes deeper while for the former, the channel expands the further the projectile penetrates. But wounds from a firearm and from a sharp weapon are not often confounded. 2. Shot discharged at short range may produce a wound similar to that made by a bullet, because the shot on quitting the barrel remains packed, separating only later to form what is called the cone of dispersion, For this phenomenon, like others of the same nature, is often influenced by many accidental and unforeseen facts. This distance may be from four to six feet and even more, it being difficult to calculate it with precision. In modern choke-bore shotguns the distance is much greater, the object being, of course, to concentrate the shot and so cause greater destruction among a number of birds flying close together. This dispersion of shot differs with, and has no correlation to, the quality of each arm. Sometimes the pellets remain massed for a considerable distance, but when they separate, spread more widely than when fired from other arms, where they separate immediately on leaving the barrel. But in all cases, the cone of dispersion remains the same. This packing or cohesion of the shot depends on, besides their size and number, the strength of the charge and the quality of the two wads. The size of these last and the force with which they are rammed into the barrel or cartridge are of enormous influence. Experience shows that the relation between the weight of the powder and the number of shot is of great importance. With the same arm and wads absolutely alike, very different results are obtained, depending on the relation between the shot and the powder. It is a well-ascertained fact that when the pellets are enclosed in a small cotton bag, slipped into the barrel, as is the habit of poachers, they remain packed. The same result happens when the shot is mixed with about an equal quantity of sawdust. Thus, nothing very precise can be asserted as to the causes of this packing of shot. And great care must therefore be taken in forming two precipitate conclusions, as to, for example, the distance from which a shot has been fired, when the only factors one has are the wound itself and some projectiles found by chance. But even when the weapon itself can be experimented with, conclusive results cannot be arrived at, for the weight of the powder and shot must be known. Further, there are always unknown factors of primary importance, as, for instance, the position of the charge, the force with which the wads have been rammed home, and a crowd of other secondary matters. Experiments can easily be made on the cone of dispersion. Let screens of paper be placed parallel, one behind the other, at distances of ten paces between each. Let the first be fired at so that the shot pierce successively the screens, as many as liked may be used. Then, by examining the screens, the scattering of the shot can be easily seen. Using a first-class muzzle-loading gun, which permits the charge to be more easily regulated than a breech-loader, with the same weight weight of powder and the same counted number of shot, with similar wads rammed home with equal strength, with the same wind, etc., all the conditions being as nearly as possible identical in the various experiments, in spite of every precaution, the results were absolutely different, or at least so different as to prevent any practical conclusions of legal value being deduced from them. 3. The edges of the orifice made by the projectiles are not always turned inwards, inverted, as is commonly supposed. Frequently there is so much tearing and mangling that there cannot be said to be either inversion or eversion. Often the edges are raised up by the fat beneath or bloated through advancing decomposition. 4. Bullets, properly so-called, that is, cylindrical with a rounded, conoidal end, often make peculiar openings, not at all resembling those usually made by a shot from a firearm. Sometimes they are triangular, appearing to have been made by a lancet. Not rarely they resemble a knife thrust. 5. While there is little satisfactory authority as to wounds caused by the wind of a passing ball, yet serious effects may be produced by the explosive gases from a blank shot, that is, without projectile. V. Beck examined 40 suicides, whose skulls were smashed into innumerable morsels who yet had fired blank. Naturally, in such cases, the muzzle of the barrel must be placed directly under the chin or in the mouth. It is not, therefore, impossible that a murder may be committed in this way, and all the more likely as it lends itself easily to the suspicion of suicide. It is a fair supposition that a person asleep, stupefied, or bound, may thus be killed by a blank charge fired point-blank. 6. Although appearing impossible, wounds due to a firearm may be confounded with wounds due to a cutting instrument. This mistake is in particular easily made in portions of the body where bones are found directly under the skin. The following case was reported in 1893. A man was found apparently killed by a blow from a knife in the nape of the neck. The judicial post-mortem confirmed this supposition. The individual, it was believed, had received in the nape a blow from a knife, which, not being very deep, was not thought mortal. By mere chance, suspicion was aroused that the man had been killed by a shot from a firearm. Exhumation of the body and a new post-mortem confirmed this suspicion, for a revolver bullet was found lodged between two vertebrae of the neck. 7. Another difficult question which frequently arises is whether death from gunshot is due to suicide, accident or murder. Here medical knowledge and the post-mortem itself are of less value than an attentive, minute and exhaustive examination of the attendant circumstances. Frequently, too, the investigating officer has to come to a decision before the arrival of the medical men and before the post-mortem as to whether the presumption of murder exists, necessitating a judicial inquiry, or whether the case is so clearly one of suicide or accident as to warrant the abandonment of further proceedings. Few general rules can be laid down for this purpose, The exterior circumstances are generally the most important, the positions of the corpse and the weapon, the personality of the dead person, and analogous matters. Here, above all, it is necessary not to lose one's head, and not to attribute any decisive signification to isolated facts and suppositions wanting in a solid foundation. On the one hand, it must not be forgotten that persons who attempt their own lives have frequently the most odd and eccentric notions, so that, from facts not clearly established, murder cannot be presumed. Even the place of the wound proves nothing. Cases have been recorded where persons have fired at the stomach, dying only after horrible suffering. Footnote It seldom happens, however, that a suicide takes place through a shot through the eye, although this is a sure means of death. Obviously, the destruction of the eye is distasteful to a suicide. If a corpse is found having been shot in the head through the eye, it is to be concluded, until the contrary is proved, that it is not a case of suicide. End of footnote. Again, it may happen that the shot goes astray, owing to too heavy a charge, and the projectile goes elsewhere than the spot aimed at, the lungs, for example, instead of the heart. On the other hand, it must be remembered that it is often very easy so to arrange matters as to make a murder pass for a suicide or accident, especially at a superficial view, and even after a more minute examination. The situation and position of the body may have been arranged artificially after the fatal wound, and false letters may be written in which the victim bids a touching adieu to the world. A very important and in fact almost certain proof of suicide is the manner in which the corpse retains the weapon in its clenched fist. Many experiments on persons just dead by pressing objects into their hands have proved that they cannot retain such objects with the convulsive grasp of a person holding the object in his hand during life and in the death agony. The last point must not be overlooked, for it is possible a very refined murderer may place a weapon in the hand of a dying victim. A very remarkable and instructive case where the question was accident or suicide is that known as the Ardlemont mystery. We quote the following account from an article by Lord Moncrief in Blackwood's Magazine, June 1906, page 774. I shall now proceed to the third case, that of the Lord Advocate against Monson, and another decided in December 1893, which is popularly known as the Ardlemont case, Or the Ardlemont mystery. As in the case of Dr. Smith, the charge against Monson was that he had first insured young Hamburg's life for twenty thousand pounds, and in order to obtain payment of the insurance first tried to drown him on the ninth of August, and having failed to do so, murdered him on the morning of the tenth of August, by shooting him in the head while they were out shooting rabbits together. The evidence as to the attempt to drown, taken by itself, would certainly not have been sufficient. But when it was proved that the man, who in company with Monson had been nearly drowned on the night of the ninth, was, while also in company with Monson on the morning of the 10th, shot dead by a shot from a gun generally used by Monson, the circumstances connected with the alleged attempt to drown became of great significance. It was an admitted fact in the case that the gun which shot Hambro was Monson's gun, a 12-bore fouling piece. Hambro's gun, and indeed the only other gun in the house, was a 20-bore. The cartridges which fitted the 12-bore gun were loaded with amberite powder, and number 5 shot. On the other hand, the cartridges for the twenty bore gun were not loaded with amberite and only carried a charge of number six shot. The wadding of the cartridges of the twenty bore gun was, of course, much smaller than that of the cartridges of the twelve bore gun. Now, four pellets of number five shot were found in Hambra's head and a piece of wadding of a twelve-bore cartridge was found at the spot where his body was found. If Hambra that day was shooting with his own twenty-bore gun, there would, I presume, have been no doubt that he was shot by Monson, either by accident or design. Accidental shooting by Monson was excluded by the nature of the defence, which was that Hambra that morning wished to try the amberite powder which could only be done by using Monson's gun, and that, in point of fact, although Monson had got Hambra's gun from the keeper to give to Hambra, Hambra went off with Monson's gun, and Monson carried Hambra's twenty-bore gun. Monson did not mention this till three weeks later, and left it to be supposed that Hambra was shot through his own carelessness by his own twenty-bore gun there was no direct evidence as to what took place in the wood, because the man Scott, who was present in the wood, absconded, or at least was not to be found at the date of the trial, and therefore the case had to be decided mainly on skilled evidence as to the nature of the wound, the level at which the gun must have been held or gone off, and the distance from which the shot must have been fired, There is no doubt that guns do strange things when they are whisked out of the hands of the sportsman. I myself saw a gun, knocked out of the hand of a friend with whom I was shooting by a large retriever, go off in the air and discharge a shot backwards within a few inches of its owner's head. And therefore, in Monson's case, a great deal depended upon the evidence as to the distance from which the shot was fired and the position of the gun at the time when it was fired. End of section 2